Welcome to another installment of the Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers What We Learned in the Markets This Week video. We aim to provide you, our valued clients, with a brief video giving you information that is helpful to your understanding of the markets from a biblical worldview with no financial agenda, which makes us uniquely different from the news media in America. This video is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make investment decisions. The clients of Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in today's video. All opinions discussed are solely those of John Mark Young and not those of Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers. Hi, I'm John Mark Young, and well, friends, 2024 is quickly coming to a close. We have officially hit the Santa Claus rally, which is, by definition, the last five trading days of the year. And well, not a complete guarantee, because of course, there's no guarantees in investing, but not a complete guarantee that the next five trading days, which includes today, Friday, December 22nd, uh, not a complete guarantee they're going to provide a positive catalyst for the market. History is on our side. And to start the rally today, we're positive day one. The market's up today. So uh, the market had a, had a good day. Now, as we review the results this week, we're, we're now on an eight-week winning streak for the S&P 500. And that matches the best winning streak since 2017. This is just another sign showing that you can't time the market. Eight weeks ago, we were coming off a 10% run to the downside during August, September, October putting the aggressive growth in the international categories squarely in negative territory for the year. So no gain there at all. And the S&P 500, which of course is our proxy for growth and growth and income, but only when considered together, that was still positive for the year, thankfully, but it had given up nearly half the gains it had at one point. And then the last eight weeks happened. Praise the Lord. And I often tell clients this, the market, when you look at it daily, it's nearly 50-50. 53% of the days are out, 47% of the days are negative. So half the days are positive, half the days are negative, yet 80% of the years end up being positive. 80% of the years end up being positive. That means most of those negative days don't mean a darn thing. Anyone that stresses a, that stressed themselves out during this last August, September, and October, you did so for no reason whatsoever. Think about this stat for a minute. Around $240 billion with a B, Dollars has been pulled from the stock market mutual funds this year. And to be clear, this is stock funds and ETFs, not bond or money market funds. So in a year that the market has been solidly positive, people pulled out billions upon billions of dollars, hundreds of billions. On top of that, 65% of large cap fund managers, those that invest in the growth and growth and income sectors, they've lagged their benchmarks this year. And yet again, that's why we advocate for more of a smart beta type of approach with your investing, not manager led, but process led. And please don't let anyone argue that the market is too expensive. I'm going to dismantle that argument in point number two, because we've had such a good year, it's too expensive. But first, let's dig into some of the economic numbers that defined this week. First, let's take a look at mortgage rates. Mortgage rates are one of the reasons I am extremely bullish on the U.S. economy and the U.S. stock market in 2024. With mortgage rates coming down, and when they get to a statistically normal level relative to the 10-year treasury, that's going to put them in the 5% camp if the 10-year treasury doesn't move too much from here. That will provide a massive consumer lift to the U.S. economy. Uh, the amount of, of purchases of real estate that have been delayed because of higher rates, th those are going to come back to the market. So purchasing will increase. Mortgage refinancing, which is right now pretty much dead, that, that's going to increase. Uh, and if you got a mortgage in the last two years, year and a half, so you're going to have the opportunity probably to lower your rate, creating more free cash flow within your monthly budget. 
I, I felt like just a few weeks ago, I was talking about the 30-year mortgage rate hitting 7%, but they just continue their free fall. And this week, they came in around 6.67 for the 30-year rate. This week, I put the 15-year on here as well. I probably should have always done that, but that came down below 6%. It's now standing at 5.95. The momentum of these rates dropping can't be understated when considering that most people's single largest expense is their mortgage. Now, this week, we thought we'd put both the initial claims for unemployment insurance and the continuing claims for unemployment insurance on the same chart. So that, and, and that way, you can look at them a little bit longer. But the initial claims for unemployment insurance, again, those people going on unemployment insurance for the very first time, uh, those folks came in at 205,000 new claims right in line with our last week's number, which was when revised to 203,000. So 200,000 roughly initial claims for unemployment insurance. Additionally, those that are on unemployment insurance and not coming off, or what we call the continuing claims for unemployment insurance, those stayed steady at the 1.86 million range. And that's the number, as you can see, uh, it, it been up earlier in uh, the uh, last month and has leveled off at this point in time. So that's good. That's what, exactly what we want to see. We do not want to see that going higher because we're roughly at where we were pre-pandemic. Now, how about my friends at the Atlanta Fed giving us our weekly update on the state of the economy and its overall growth with their GDP Now forecasting tool. This week, the number popped up to 2.7 earlier in the week, but it fell back down to 2.3 uh, for the week after reports from the U.S. Census Bureau, the U.S. Bureau of Labor uh, uh, Economic Analysis, and the National Association of Realtors put out reports that fed into this data. A 2.3% growth rate for GDP is well within a normal range and very exciting to see after a 5% quarter that we had in Q3 uh, and falling into the ones in November on this, this quarter's report. But it's back up in the twos. That's good. All this positive momentum in the market is partly driven by the positive inflation data that we actually received today. And we're going to talk about that in point number three. However, that has given the CME Group's FedWatch tool the confidence it needs to say at this point, at the March 20th, 2024 Fed meeting, which will be the second scheduled meeting in 2024 for the Fed, they're currently pricing in a 75% chance that we get a rate cut of 25 basis points. And they even put a 12% chance that we get a 50 basis point rate cut, which is the same percentage chance they give if, if we're going to stay at our current levels. Uh, so 12% that you know we stay, 12% we get a 50 basis point, highest probability we get a quarter. So right now, 2024 might be the year of rate cuts. And finally, let's talk about the markets and how they ended this week. First, the S&P 500, which of course is our proxy for growth and growth in income, but only when taken together. That was positive 0.75% for the week. The Russell 2000, which tracks our small and mid-sized companies or aggressive growth in our Dave Ramsey vernacular, that was positive 2.6% this week, continuing its white hot streak. And finally, the MSCI EFA, which tracks international stocks in developed countries around the world, excluding the U.S., that was positive 0.52% for the week. So aggressive growth takes another week in the winter circle. Number two, as discussed above, let's dive into the conversation around the stock market is too expensive because it had such a great year. Inevitably, someone around your Christmas table is going to make the laziest argument in investing. Here's how it goes. Well, the S&P 500 has run up about 24% this year and the Russell 2000 and the MSCI IFA are in their teens, the aggressive growth in international. So the stock market's going to fall because it can't keep rising forever. <coughs> Incorrect. Uncle Joe, you're going over to the kitty table to finish your dinner 
for such a nonsensical argument. Stocks don't go up in a straight line. We know that. That is obvious. You've lived through that. 2022. But that's different than saying they've gone up, so now they have to go down. And stocks being expensive because they've gone up, well, that is a lazy argument. That depends on other factors. It depends on, did we get earnings growth? What's happening with cost cutting within a company? Are they doing any share buybacks to reduce their share count? The primary drivers for stock growth are those th three things. Just last quarter, we, st we started to see earnings growth return. And in 2022, companies were cost cutting like crazy. They had employee reduction counts. Uh, many companies were doing share buybacks. Even though they're being taxed by the Biden administration now, they're still doing it. Uh, so why are we expensive or are we expensive? That's the question. The most basic way to measure that is to take the price of the stock divided by their earnings and come up with a PE ratio. Essentially, what are we paying in the price of the stock for every dollar of earnings? To start the year on the S&P 500, we were trading at 15.3 times earnings. And on the Russell 2000, we were 18.9. Pretty cheap, especially for the S&P 500. If you took out the FANG names, which is Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, you'd actually have a 14.5 times PE ratio to start the year. That's definitely cheap. Well, after a good run on the market, we're expensive again relative to old highs or the highs of 2022. Eh, wrong. The current S&P 500 PE ratio, according to FactSet, is 17.1 and 15.3 if you take out FANG. The Russell 2000 trades at 21.7 times today. And the long-term average for PEs, when interest rates are between 3 and 5%, which is where we're going, that's an 18 times multiple. And comparing our current PE, 17.1, to the S&P 500, to where we are on 1-3 of 2022, before the market had its worst year since 2008, and the bond market had its worst year since 1842, we were trading at 21.7 times on the S&P 500, and 17.8 without FANG. And the Russell 2000, that was at 23 times. So there's your ammo to give your nice, sweet uncle something back when he makes that lazy argument. But for the sake of family harmony, you better just let him watch this video instead of calling you calling his argument lazy. Probably not the right verbiage I would use if I was actually talking to someone personally. Finally, point number three, the PCE number, Personal Consumption Expenditures Index. As we said over the last two years, as this has become an increasingly important measure, this is the Fed's preferred method of checking inflation. Because unlike the CPI number, the Consumer Price Index number, which tracks a broad basket of goods, the PCE number tracks what consumers are actually buying and determine if there is any inflation in what they're actually buying. The consensus estimate was that we're going to see a 20 basis point, 0.2% increase month over month on the PCE number. And that would have annualized, of course, to about 2.4%. Still above the Fed's target, but coming down. However, our primary research company we use, they have a data scientist that used a lot of data from the CPI numbers. And they said they anticipated a 0.07% increase on the core PCE number, which would annualize under 1%. So again, the consensus Wall Street was at 20 basis points. And the research group we pay for was thinking 0.07. And the core number came in at 0.10 for the month. And the non-core number came in at 0.25%. The actual number was actually 0.06, but they, they round these numbers uh, up uh, or to the nearest uh, 10. So what can we take away from this report is inflation continues to fall like a rock. Just as Dave Ramsey used to, or does say, don't buy a new car because Chevy made its old slogan, like a rock, 
in connection with how their price on a new vehicle falls after purchasing it. The PCE number, or said another way, inflation that matters is in free fall. It's falling like a rock. Once again, just like the CPI number, if you, which we talked about on last week's uh, video, if you take out housing, shelter, we're actually experiencing disinflation, which really technically isn't good. Uh, th thank you for our short supply of housing in the U.S., which is actually a good investment theme, by the way, for, for the next decade. If you talk to your advisor, they can talk to you about some investment allocations we can make related to housing and real estate. We think that's a good theme when you're 4 million houses short in the U.S. But if the Fed does start to worry about disinflation, then that could be a positive for the stock market after you get past the initial shock of it, because it would mean a more aggressive rate cutting policy and the end of quantitative tightening, which is where they're taking money out of the system, they're actually decreasing the money supply uh, right now and, and stopping and they're, they're selling their bonds. They, they meaning the Fed, they would want some level of rising asset prices to bring back some level of inflation, 2%. Some of the numbers that made headlines in the PCE report when I reviewed it, again, housing was up 0.09. Public transportation was the second highest increase on the PCE uh, report, and it was up 0.03 month over month. But for every gainer, there was an equal loser. So how about net foreign travel costs being down 0.05, negative 0.05. Additionally, net purchases of used autos, that was positive month over month, 0.02 while the cost within the financial services sector was down 0.02. Overall, a great report and absolutely provided a great tailwind for the market today, the first day of the Santa Claus rally, and we think will provide a tailwind all through next week. And finally, point number four, Andreessen Horowitz is a venture capital firm that has a history of investing in the next big thing. They've been early to many investments and an early investor in many investments, such as Coinbase, Airbnb, Lyft, and Stripe, to name a few. So to say their track record speaks for itself is an understatement. They actually had 40 of their partners identify the one thing they thought individually could be the next big idea that drives innovation in the U.S. economy. Some of the things that I found interesting after reading that report and, and the summary of that report from my friends at DataTrek is uh, many of the times we've talked on this video series about the wonderful gift that God has given Elon Musk in terms of his his brain, his ingenuity, his work ethic, his drive, uh, most clearly, in my opinion, seen right now with SpaceX and their ability to make rockets reusable for purposes of space travel and satellite distribution. Well, how about the concept in a medical type of situation, uh, a, the concept of reuse? So there are the ideas and research around programmable medicines, programmable medicines such as a gene therapy that can reuse components such as the delivery vehicles that are used to target specific cells while swapping out the actual genetic cargo that goes in those vehicles. This takes a largely expensive and binary outcome and becomes a game changer for the pharma industry in terms of cost, in terms of research. Another interesting answer was smart power grids. Many of our electrical grids are outdated and overworked. Smart grids can reduce the risk of outages, lower the cost to operate those, those grids, and eliminate wasted energy by delivering power from renewable energy sources like wind, solar, and natural gas when needed because of large demand on the electric grid. And of course, you knew they were going to say something about artificial intelligence, AI. Well, actually, they talked about AI in this report 82 times which was quite the increase from 24 times they talked about it last year. Of note, they think that artificial intelligence in 2024 will create voice apps that actually 
do things for you instead of just answering questions. Nothing against you, Siri, but uh, just she, you're just not the greatest in terms of execution. Particularly, they think voice-based apps for both companion purposes, because AI can now actually have a meaningful conversation with you, and for personal productivity. So how about a personal assistant that is actually artificial intelligence, but can achieve human-level functions like an assistant would? Scheduling meetings, making phone calls, all that. All very cool things. And when we do this report next year, I'm going to look forward to seeing what the incredible things that artificial intelligence has done and the human ingenuity has brought us in 2024. You just think back to 2023 and what we've learned and created since then. Uh, it's pretty amazing. A lot of it has centered around artificial intelligence, which has been the theme, investment theme that has driven a lot of 2023. It's why there was one point throughout the year where there was pretty much only seven stocks that drove most of the return. By the way, that's not the case today. There's many, many stocks that are that are driving most of the returns right now. But but early on, it was seven, and it was seven that were centered around artificial intelligence. That's the U.S. economy in motion with ingenuity happening, and you, my friends, want to be invested in that. You invest in that through growth, growth and in income and aggressive growth, and possibly even international, although that's going to be focused on ingenuity outside of the U.S. So thank you so much for watching this week's video. We've got one more video for 2023, and it's going to be what we learned in the markets this year. So we look forward to seeing you on that video. If you would like any help, maybe with baby steps one, two, and three, for the new year, for 2024, you can go to our comment section and schedule a meeting with any of our financial coaches. They'll help you get out of debt. They'll help you build a budget. They'll help you hold yourself accountable to those things. They'll help you figure out, are there things you're spending money on that you shouldn't be, become more efficient with your money, or you can schedule a meeting with any of our financial advisors and planners who will help you in baby steps four, five, and six, get that Roth IRA going, start your optimizing your 401k to its maximum level, perhaps start some real estate investing, brokerage accounts, bridge accounts, all those sort of things. We would love to help you with. Just go to the comment section and schedule a meeting with any of our advisors. Thanks so much. We'll look forward to seeing you next week.